little mini-series about people who to pray for, unless the Lord wants to add another one. So I'm going to take uh, maybe a few weeks, and just as we get into the uh, harvest time, you know, the most productive time for church ministry as far as outreach ministries are the spring and the fall. And so March, April, May uh, are some of the harvest times of the church. And then September, October, great harvest times for the church. Now, a soul-winning church should be busy all the time trying to reach people. Uh, but I think you'd agree it's easier to reach them in April and May than it is in January and February. And so the Bible says that it's a shame for uh, us to sleep during harvest in the book of Proverbs. And, of course, that's applicable to a lot of different things. But, boy, when, when harvest time comes for churches, we've got to be awake. We've got to be on the ball. And so our church has a spring program every year where we uh, do special things and en encourage the folks to get out and, and invite people. And we have a lot of visitors. We see people saved uh, regularly. Then in the fall, we have our harvest days. We do some special things getting into September. But then every Sunday in October, we have our harvest days, some special things going on there. And so uh, while we're busy every week of the year, these are our big pushes. And before we get into our big spring push, we had our wonderful soul winning training last Saturday. Uh, but we could, we could have spent days on that. I want to just give you some finer points on things as we go along so that we can just be confident soul winners. And so this is the goal. Every Christian should be confident with the gospel. So think about that. Uh, if you want to plant an apple tree in your lawn, you need an apple seed, right? Apple seeds aren't made in a factory. They come from another apple tree. Uh, and when we want other Christians, the seed of a, another Christian is actually the gospel in us. He that winneth souls is wise. The Bible talks about the righteous or tree of life. What's that tree? It's a fruit-bearing tree. And so we must be busy uh, shedding our seeds, constantly giving the seed of the Word of God, constantly giving the gospel. And listen, folks, the only hope for this planet is... Uh, more Christians, that we uh, make more disciples and we uh, bring revival. God brings revival, uh, and revival starts with faithful obedience. And so I want to just give you uh, two subjects tonight. You can put these in your soul-winning binders if you have one. If you didn't get a soul-winning binder and you want one, uh, we've got a few left over from our training day. We can get you those. Then eventually those will come in a better package. Now, I warn you, this is not proofread. So there will be some mistakes in it, but let's get into the material. Our Lord here gives instruction to the disciples. The disciples made a grave mistake. Imagine Jesus is healing everybody, laying hands on people, blessing people. The power of God is evident. I mean, it's just an amazing atmosphere. Like any good parent bringing their children to Jesus, wanting Jesus to touch their children. And the disciples rebuked them. Look at verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought him. Don't bring your kids up here. Hey, don't bring those snotty nose bus kids up here. Well, that's not what they said, but that's what we hear today. All right, don't, don't bring those kids up here. Jesus is too important for children. See that lame guy over there? See that half-dead person over there? See that demon-possessed person over there? 
Jesus doesn't have time for your children. Grave mistake. Jesus rebuked them. A public correction. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Now think about that. It's one thing to be displeased. It's another thing to be much displeased. You parent know, parents know what it's like to be much displeased, right? There are annoyances. There are things that don't make you happy. And then there is much displeased. Uh, this made Jesus unhappy. And then look what he said. Suffer or allow the little children to come unto me. And forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. See, they made a grave mistake. They're trying to keep the children away because the children weren't important enough. They weren't big enough. Their needs weren't urgent enough for Christ. But he said, they're the very example of how I want you all to be, these children. Look at the next verse, verse 15. Verily I say unto you, uh, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. So sometimes it's, it's not us, the children, not being worthy to come to Jesus because they're children. It's we're not worthy to come to Jesus because we're adults. You see that? We have to become as little children. Why? Because it's always by faith. And little children live by faith for sure. And then I love that Jesus called them and he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. We have a sweet uh, painting that Leanne did down in the nursery and I love it. We talked about this idea and she was able to, to paint it and then actually did a mural in the nursery and it's the children gathered around Jesus on the seaside. I love that. Sometimes I'll just stop in there and look at it. I think it's beautiful. And this is Christ. He has a heart for the children. And so we as a church need to have a heart for the children. I'm not, the introduction is, is kind of all jumbled here, so we'll follow along when we get down into the numbers. But let me just say that some churches get it wrong. Some churches are not interested in ministering to children. And it's a huge mistake. And nowadays, a lot of churches say, what? Well, we don't have any children. One of the first things we hear when a visitor comes here on Sunday morning is, oh, you have children here. And it's always been that way. Why? Because we believe in not just allowing the little children to come to Jesus, but bringing them to Jesus through the bus ministry, through the children's club. We've got children and adults right now down at a master's club learning the word of God. Why? They, they're like little sponges. Boy, they can learn so many things. Uh, and in the public schools, they're teaching the children, uh, kids your age, they're teaching about uh, how the color of the skin matters and whether they're a victim or oppressed and even sexual education down third, fourth grade, uh, sometimes younger, reading books about sodomy and homosexuality to kindergartners and first graders. Why? Because they know these kids are sponges and they're trying to get all their filth down into them as young as they can. No, no, we need to teach them God's word as young as they can and bring these children to Jesus. Uh, I've even known Christians over the years that look down on children getting saved. You know, they'll say things like, but how many of them truly meant it? Oh, you had some kids saved, how many of them meant it? 
as if kids can't get saved. And one of the things I always remind them is you can't get saved unless, unless you become like them. <laughs> Don't doubt their salvation. They ought to be doubting yours. But this idea of, well, they're just kids. Uh, this idea of people often say, well, you saw so many people saved, but where are they now? They're somewhere. <laughs> Brother Pash was, got saved as a child and then didn't get right with God until years later. And here he is now for 50 years been serving the Lord. Never underestimate when a child makes a profession of faith. Oh, boy, they're wonderful. I had someone tell me one time, well, I'd rather see an adult saved than a child. Well, I'd like to see adults saved too. And by the way, one of our philosophies of reaching children is if you can reach the parent, you reach the whole family. Right? So we reach the children to reach the parents, and then you reach all the, the children. But it's not like, well, which one weighs more? The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth if it's an adult or if they're over 18. No, it's over one sinner that repenteth. There's rejoicing in heaven because a, a soul born again is a soul born again regardless of age. Some churches have few children and fewer outreach opportunities. I'm glad our church has a bus ministry. I'm glad our church has children's church, a primary church, and and uh, Sunday school classrooms and a nursery and master's clubs and all of these different opportunities to get children involved and teach them the word of God. Uh, one of these days when God gives us the, uh, the people for it, just all we need is some qualified laymen just to, to say, I want to do this. And there are programs now where we can get into the schools uh, and after school programs and such. Did you know our public schools are an absolute mission field? An absolute mission field today uh, and there's people that can get get us in there and have after school programs and different things where we can reach these children by the way south kingstown's talking about i don't know if they actually voted on it or not of closing the middle school and consolidating some of the different schools the middle school right down the road they're talking about closing that sending some of them to broad rock and some of them other places and they want to do away with uh, the south kingstown high school rather than fix it uh, so the even, even the whole educational situation in in south kingstown is is kind of up in the air right now but uh, we need to reach these children boy it breaks my heart when i drive past the high school or the or the middle school and uh, they're getting out and i see these these kids walking down the street just lost and most of them have never heard the gospel most of them have never had a clear presentation of the gospel and so we've got to to see these, these children and get the gospel to them. So I want to give you some advice for winning children to Christ. Of course, the gospel never changes. It's the same gospel where we win adults that wins teenagers and wins children. But the application of the gospel might change. The, the way we present the gospel can vary based on the listener. I won't use the same illustrations and the same words, perhaps, when I'm witnessing to an 80-year-old as I would when I'm witnessing to an eight-year-old, all right? And so let's dive in here and give you a few points, and then we'll dive into the advice and see if we can get to our other paper tonight. Oh, here's a profound statement. Children become adults, <laughs> right? People say, well, we're, we're after adults. We're not after kids. Children become adults, right? So we need to reach the children, and then they become adults. They're the future of the church. All right, so let's look at, consider the following reasons to witness to children. Number one, children have souls too. 
As soon as a child reaches the age of accountability, they're condemned in their sin just like an adult. Now, the age of accountability is when a child understands right from wrong. They become accountable for their sin. We know the Bible teaches that someone who can't tell right from wrong is not held responsible for their sin. So small children, oftentimes we get asked, well, where do babies go when they die and, and so on? And what about special needs folks? You know, there, there are adult special needs people that just don't know the difference between right and wrong. And if you don't know the difference between right and wrong, you're not held accountable for your sin. You're kept safe by the grace of God. God uh, carries you to heaven through the sacrifice of Christ. But as soon as a child reaches the age of accountability, this is the age where they know right from wrong. They know what they're doing. They're in their sin. I mean, they're dead in their sin. And so we have to understand these children have souls too. Oftentimes I get asked, well, when is the age of accountability? And it's interesting, in the garden, they were accountable once they knew they were naked. And with children, an interesting time is, you know, when you see a, a child, before they reach the age of accountability, they can run around unclothed with no shame. You know, you got family over and all of a sudden a streaker runs through because they, they uh, got out of their diaper or something and just, and they're not ashamed. They're, just, they're not accountable. But without being taught, children reach an age, and it's different for all kids, they reach an age where now they're covering up. They know they're naked. And it may not be a hard and fast rule, but it's a pretty good barometer about knowing when people have shame of their nakedness, when children do, it's a good barometer that they're probably about at that age of, of accountability. So keep an eye on that. All right, number two. A high percentage of all Christians alive today were born again as children. So think about this. According to Barna Group, 94% of adult Christians made the decision to follow Jesus before they were 18 years old. Think about that. So we got some churches that are like, well, I'd rather reach adults when most people get saved when they're kids. We've got to focus on the children. In 2019, a group called Ministry to Children surveyed 400 children's ministry leaders, and they gave the following report. And this breakdown is pretty standard across the things I've seen over the years. 15% age 6 or younger, 32% age 7 through 11, 36% age 12 to 19, 11% age 20 to 29, and just under 5% after age 30. So most people get saved. Most people who are saved today are saved or were saved between the ages of 7 and 19. So we've got to focus on the children. Now let me say this. We need to turn that around. We need to turn those numbers around if we're going to save America and save the world. Because that means only 4 to 6% of adults typically get saved after the age of 18. We've got to turn that around. How do we turn that around? The power of God. Churches have to get back to the power of God. And, and folks, this, this newfangled church mumbo-jumbo, the, the purple lights, the fog, the rock and roll, the entertainment, the pastors in the, the skinny jeans and a $100 designer V-neck t-shirt and uh, tattoos everywhere and a, a $300 haircut all, all slicked back. I mean, that kind of stuff's not going to save the world, folks. It's the power of God. The old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, power of God, where you can give someone the, the, the Scripture, the, the Word of God, and they feel convicted of their sins and are drawn to Christ by the Holy Spirit, and the miracle of salvation happens. 
That's what the world needs, is more of that. And that means Christians have to stop playing footsie with the world and get separated and get serious about prayer and get serious about getting the power of God and going forth in His power. That's the only hope the world has. And we need revival in the church to make that happen. All right, number three, why witness to children? Today, fewer children are hearing the gospel than previous generations. Think about that. Satan has worked to separate children from the gospel for at least the past two generations. He knows that children are more likely to trust Christ, so he has orchestrated a plan to shield them from the gospel. The Bible is no longer taught in schools. As a result, the public schools become a mission field. Most American families do not attend a church faithfully of any kind. According to the Barna Group, this is a, a group that does surveys, around 63.5 million Americans attend church at least once a month and say their faith is very important to them. And this is the highest level that they said. So first of all, attending church once a month, that, that's not a great feat. I'm thankful for it, but that's, that's not a committed Christian. We ought to be attending church three times a week. Three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive. You think you're going to live for God in this wicked and perverse world, giving God 90 minutes a week? It doesn't happen. But here, only 63.5 million said at least once a month, and they say their faith is very important to them. That's not a good number considering that our, in our country there's over 330 million people. I talked to 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds today that have never been in church for any reason. Not a funeral, not a wedding, nothing. Not Christmas, not Easter, nothing. Why? Because their parents believed that it was a good thing to shield them from God and religion. So there's never been a time in American history that I know of where children are hearing the gospel less than today. And of course, Satan is a wise tactician. He knows that children get saved more than adults. Number four, why should we witness to children? Children are the greatest practitioners of faith. They live by faith better than adults. Luke 18, 17, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Children live by faith. They trust their parents explicitly. They believe what they're told without question. And Christ explained that we must receive the gospel as a little child to be born again. If they are our examples, surely they can get saved in great numbers. All right? So this is why we should witness to children. Let me give you some advice on how to do it. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel plan we teach here, the modified Romans road, 1 John chapter 5, and then into the Romans road, the, the uh, powerful illustrations we teach. Boy, if you're, you're using the gospel, uh, it works. You just might have to modify your approach a little bit because they're children. So let's just read through this real quick. Number one, be friendly. All right, number two, approach them with love and tenderness. Children can be intimidated easily by adults they don't know. And so you got to understand this, whether it's in church, you're working with someone downstairs in a class or, or, or an event that we have, or if you meet them on the street, or you're working a bus route, or vacation Bible school, you can't approach children with the energy of an adult, especially if you're busy, you're hurried, you got a lot to do. If you approach them with that, they get very easily intimidated. 
I mean, think how intimidated you can get by adults you don't know, and now you've got these little people, they get very intimidated. So we have to be tender and loving when we approach them. Don't be bossy or domineering. Number three, get on their level if possible. Uh, bend down. You know, oftentimes when I'm talking to a child and I, I need to really connect with them, I'll bend down or I'll get on one knee or you can sit next to them. But get on their level so they're not looking up at you so much. Number four, speak softly but with an excited voice. Softly. So don't use your big voice. Soft voice, but excited. Hey, Johnny, can I show you something from the Bible? Hey, Susie, you want to see something really cool from God's Word? Now, don't be soft and dead. Hey, Johnny, you probably don't want to see this, do you? <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like, I'm thinking, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> now, hey, I got something to show you. Smile warmly. Number six, use the same gospel. Every sinner must get saved the same way. Number seven, use the King James Bible. Don't use a corrupt Bible thinking that it is easier for children to understand. Boy, I run into this a lot. Oh, uh, you know, with my kids, I, I got them this Bible that's, that's like a cartoon Bible, and it's got like, it's all three-letter words because they're going to understand it. Your kids aren't ignorant. Give them the Word of God, and the things they don't know, explain it to them. They don't need to know, oh, what's iniquity? That's sin. Oh, <laughs> you know, you think your seven-year-old's not... Oh, that, that Bible uses iniquity. A kid never understand that. The truth is, your King James Bible is written on a, a sixth grade level. The NIV is written on a twelfth grade level. So just because they're modern words doesn't mean it's easier to understand. And so stick with the old King James Bible. It's proven, inspired, preserved Word of God in the English language. Your kids don't need a watered-down version of the Bible in order to understand it. Get them saved, they'll have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number eight. Explain the gospel in terms they can understand. Hey, little Johnny, I'm going to teach you the doctrine of propitiation. Some of you don't even know what the doctrine of propitiation is, right? Or, hey, I'm going to talk to you about soteriology. No, use, use words that they understand. Same thing dealing with lost people. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with lost people, it's a good idea not to use a purely Christian ver vernacular. Like, we, we might talk about in church, about, man, I want to be on fire for God. You ask a lost people if they want to be on fire for God, the answer is probably going to be, uh, no. I don't want to be on fire for any reason. Right? And so use, use words that they will know, especially with children. Don't use large or theological words they won't know. Number nine, use illustrations that apply to the child's life. For example, don't ask, have you ever robbed a bank? You might ask that to an adult, but if you ask that to a seven-year-old, it's absurd. I can't even drive. I can't have a gun. Instead, ask a question like, have you ever disobeyed your parents? Well, now that's applicable to them, right? And oftentimes we'll ask them, have you ever told a lie? And they'll go, no. <laughs> and I'll say, do you want me to ask your mommy? No. <laughs> right? So they're, if they're at the age of accountability, they're going to know that they are a sinner. All right. Number 10, review before leading the child in prayer. A child will pray easily to make the adult happy. Ensure that they understand what they're doing before you proceed. And so we want them to be truly saved, so don't rush. Be patient. Go slow. And sometimes you witness to a child and they're not ready. They just don't get it. And that's okay. 
And one thing, and I ought to put this in here, one thing I often tell parents, especially, like a child will often get scared of hell before they understand the gospel. And one thing, well, well what do I do with my kids? They're, they're scared of going to hell, but they don't know the gospel. I'll just always say this, and it works every time. Well, all you got to do is trust Jesus one day, and you can go to heaven. And they're like, oh, okay, and then they'll go play with their Legos. Right? I'm scared. I don't want to go to hell. All you got to do is trust Jesus someday when you understand. You can go to heaven. Okay. And then they go eat a sandwich. But you're reinforcing, even though they don't understand the full thing, you're reinforcing, just trust Jesus. Just trust Jesus. All you got to do is trust Jesus. And then one of these days it clicks, and they're like, I'm going to trust Jesus. I know what that means now. And then you'll be all set. All right? Number 11, draw the net like we explained earlier. That's in your other paperwork we passed out. Number 12, give the child assurance of a salvation. As we discussed, number 13, explain to the parents excuse me, the child's parents, what happened. And so, especially if you're in the bus ministry or vacation Bible school, those things, when a child makes a decision, it's a good idea, to, it's a good reason to talk to the parents, right? Here's what I do in church, and I think it's a common courtesy. If the parent is in the church and they're a faithful church member, like let's say one of Ethan and Christine's children wanted to get saved, and I happened to be in class, and they wanted to get saved, uh, and I have the opportunity to lead them to the Lord, I might hold them off for a moment and go get Ethan or Christine and let them have the privilege of leading their own child to the Lord, right? Uh, and they might say, no, go ahead, we want you to do it, but I want, as a parent, a Christian parent usually would love to have that connection. Of, oh, I was right in the other room, why didn't you come get me? You know, so that courteousness, of course, it's better just to lead them to Christ than them not. But be be sensitive when the parents are faithful members of the church, right? Uh, and then number fifteen, with the parents' permission, help the child make a public profession of faith and follow baptism. So, a child can't come to church without their parent, without permission. A child can't get baptized. Uh, without parental permission, and so on. So we want to always make sure we're involving the parents uh, in, in these decisions. All right, and here's a couple different situations. If you meet a child in the street or in their yard, uh, use wisdom when approaching the child. You can't, you, years ago, honestly 20 years ago in Chicago, you could just walk up to kids standing in the front yard, and you're standing three or four feet away from them, broad daylight, everything's on the up and up. You could talk to them, and it wasn't a big deal. Nowadays, especially in liberal areas like we're at, uh, you've got to be very careful. So a lot of times when I see children out, all walk up and say something like, Hi, I'm from the church. Can I talk to your mom or dad? Now, as soon as I say that, they might want to engage for a minute, and I might talk to them for a minute. But if the parents come out, I've already said, Oh, I asked them if they would go get you, right? But I'm not going to lead them to Christ without connecting with their parents first. You ever want to see a parent mad, have a parent walk out on somebody when they're uh, in the front yard talking with their child and the parent doesn't know what it's about, right? So you got to be wise in this day and age. Uh, and then if you talk to the mom and dad, everything's set. Uh, or, now, a teenager is a different story. If it's a teenager, then, and especially if they're just out run, roaming around town on their own, if, if the parents are letting them roam around the town, they're 10, 11, 12 years old, and they're walking down Main Street, then that's a bit of a different story. You want to be careful and use wisdom in every situation. 
All right, number four, use an appropriate form like our bus rider permission form. That's always helpful. And then if the child's parents don't attend church, we always get written permission for the child to come to church. Never, 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 never bring a child to church without written permission. Never. Never. Especially bus workers. I know we go over this, but you're having a big day, and Susie wants to bring her cousin, and we're just going to let her get on the bus. How would you feel if your child was over at a friend's house, and now all of a sudden you, you find out she's 30 minutes away with people you don't know? You're not going to be happy. And that's how problems start. All right? So always get written permission. Use our bus rider permission form. By the way, that's not just for bus riding. If you want to bring someone in your car, I think it's a good idea to still have somebody fill that out. All right, number three, provide a way to bring children to church even if their parents won't bring them. This is encouragement to, to churches to have a van or bus ministry. Encourage the child to tell their parents what they did. Encourage the child to invite their parents to church. Follow up with the parents attempting to win them to Christ and so on. All right, let me show you this last one here quickly. Any questions about that real quick? Questions or comments about winning children to the Lord? Good. All right, let's talk about winning a soul in the hospital. And so oftentimes, this is preachers make a lot of visits to the hospital back when they would let us in. Boy, I'm so frustrated with all this. The, they will let the lawyer into the hospital, and they will let the Catholic priest into the hospital. But they won't let real preachers in, and they won't let people that care for their souls. And so we need to, to pray about all that mess. But uh, winning a soul in the hospital, you see verses on the top about uh, going and visiting people when they're sick. Jesus said, and as much as he did it not to one of the least of these, he did it not to me. And so we need to be faithful about getting into the, the hospitals. And he taught us the importance of visiting the sick and struggling. So think about this for a moment. The nursing home or the hospital is usually the, the last stop on the road of life for an awful lot of people. And that means we've got to feel comfortable going into these places and winning people to Christ. And it, it can be intimidating because we've all been to the hospital as a, as a patient or a visitor, but going in there with a ministry mindset, it's intimidating. The, the doctors and the nurses hustling and bustling, the beeps of the machines, the interruptions, the not knowing your place, or can I go here, or can I go there, or what am I supposed to do? And so let me give you some advice about witnessing and winning people to Christ in the hospital, your preacher will always uh, want to be available to go visit someone in the hospital. But if you're a soul winner, boy, you could visit people in the hospital, and you could win people to Christ in the hospital. And so let me give you just a couple thoughts here. Number one, remember you're a guest on private property. Hospitals can't kick you out, right? And so you don't go in there like you rule the world. Uh, go in there with humility as a servant. Number two, hospitals are open to get sick, help sick people get better and to make money. If you're an asset to them, they will accept you with open arms. So present yourself as a helper to their cause if anyone questions your activity. Uh, you know, if, if, a, if an administrator or a nurse or somebody... Uh, approaches you and says, you can't be here, and, and this or that. You just need to understand where they're coming from. Your job is as a servant of the Lord, you're going to help them fulfill their mission. You know, you're here to help them, not to get in their way. 
And when you present yourself as I'm here to help you, oftentimes they'll back down and have a normal conversation instead of being uh, confrontational with you. All right, number three, enter the building in the authority of Christ, claiming the fullness of the Spirit. You've got to understand these are not Christian places for the most part. You've got to go in there with your armor on. You've got to go in there in the authority of Christ, claiming the fullness of the Spirit, or you'll get intimidated quickly. Number four, check with the information desk when you arrive. Even if I know where I'm going, I usually check in just because uh, I want to meet the people. I want to greet them. One of the points here says the more friends you make at the hospital, the more access you'll have, right? So get to know the greeters, get to know the people at the information desk. If you know some doctors or nurses and you can mention their names as, as friends or, or acquaintances, that is helpful as well. All right, number five, follow their rules and procedures while visiting. Uh, so don't make a fuss about things. You're on their territory. Just like if you go over to somebody's house, they want you to take off your shoes. Just take off your shoes. You may not take off your shoes at your house, but you're at their house. So just be kind and courteous. Number six, be friendly. Talk to you about that. Number seven, be patient. You'll probably be interrupted by nurses, doctors, or tests. So let's say you're in the room talking to somebody and a a doctor comes in. Well, as soon as a doctor comes in, the doctor's got precious moments there. I always step back politely. I greet the doctor. Hi, I'm the preacher. Just here talking to Joe for a moment. I'll just step back here and wait. Uh, the doctor's not going to wait on you, right? So you wait on him. If a nurse comes in, be courteous. If you know the nurse, it's okay to say, you know, ma'am, can I have just another, just another moment? If it's something that, that's not important, she might come back especially if you don't know them. They come in to do their job. Again, don't be in their way. They'll step back politely. When tests come, the tests aren't going to wait on you. So just step back. There have been many times where I've stepped back and waited while someone went to get an x-ray, and I'm still in the room when they come back from the x-ray. You just got to be patient because it's, it's a different environment. All right, number eight, knock on the door before you enter the room. Even if the door is open, I'll always knock. And uh, if I know them, I'll say, hey, it's Pastor Chapman or... or um, give some greeting uh, and then enter the smiling talk in calm and comforting tones you don't want to go in there being uh, big and loud somebody's in pain they don't appreciate that but also you don't want to interrupt what's going on outside uh, the room and so talking calm comforting tones introduce yourself they already don't know you explain while you're there so let's say you're going to visit someone you've never met you could say uh, or I might say, hi, my name is Pastor Chapman. Your sister Jane told me you were in the hospital and asked me to pay you a visit. All right, so now they know why I'm there. First time you meet someone, they want to know who are you and why are you here, right? So you tell them right away who you are, why you're there. All right, next, number 13, don't be deterred from sharing the gospel when family or friends are in the room. And so this is a, a big problem where, especially, like I said, if you don't have your armor on, you're not you're not in the authority of Christ, you don't have boldness, you're not filled with the Spirit, what if you get in there and there's a room full of people, or there's a few people in there that aren't happy you're there, but this guy's like maybe got a, on his deathbed, what are you going to do? You greet them politely, engage them, ask them if you could have a moment with, with the patient, and oftentimes they'll do that, and then go ahead and witness because they're listening too, right? Uh, and you might be able to win them to Christ. Right, number 14. Ask how they're doing. You know, this is kind of obvious. Most people are scared to go in a hospital because you don't know what to say. And the most important thing about going in a hospital is just being there. Right? For most people, it just matters you're there. There's no magic words. Don't worry about saying the wrong thing. 
Just be there with a kind, sweet, loving spirit, and God will use you. Right? All right, ask how they're doing. Let them tell you. Uh, number 15, ask if you can do anything to help them or their family during this time. Uh, and all, most of the time they're going to say no, but if they say yes, be prepared to be inconvenienced. Right? We want to win someone to Jesus, but we don't want to get them a coffee. <laughs> you know, we, we, we don't want to... We don't want to help them with the, the everyday things of life, and so be thoughtful. All right, number 16, when appropriate, use one of the transition statements we discussed earlier to begin presenting the gospel. For example, you might say, uh, Joe, I'd like to pray for you before I go if you don't mind, but, but first may I ask you a personal question? And they're usually like, sure. And then can I show you one verse in the Bible that, that explains how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. What I usually don't do, if someone's on their deathbed, I don't say, if you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Right? You want to be thoughtful. That's not very kind. It's not very considerate. So we ask a question that has the same entrance, but is not so in your face. Right? Can I show you one verse in the Bible that tells you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? And oftentimes, the answer is yes, because they're thinking about it. Right? Uh, 17, present the gospel in a thorough yet efficient manner. You may not have much time for you interrupted, so be thorough, don't rush through it, but also be efficient in trying to get through the gospel. And then be persistent. If you get interrupted, stand back politely and wait to continue. And then, of course, if they're born again, rejoice, assurance of salvation. Here's an interesting thought. Number 20, if they're not responsive, explain the gospel in faith anyway. And so oftentimes... Uh, science tells us that people may not be responsive, but they can still hear and understand. And so by faith, and it'll feel weird when you do it, but you just by faith and you just talk to them like they're there. Joe, I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm going to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And you just witness to them just like you would if they were listening. And then, uh, Joe, can you squeeze my hand? Joe, can you blink your eyes? If he doesn't do anything, that's fine. Joe, I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer how you can accept Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Go ahead and lead him in the sinner's prayer. And then you don't know. You know, I don't know how many people are going to be in heaven because of, of a technique like this, but I think we might be surprised one of these days when we get to heaven and find out people right there at the end, they couldn't communicate, but they could understand. And we have had the ones where they'll blink their eyes or they'll squeeze your hand or, or sometimes God will give them a, a, a few moments of lucidity to nail these things down all right and then number 21 if you can't witness or if they are resistant to the gospel leave a track for them to read later if you want to use a more thorough tool you can use the the mini book you must be born again it amazes me that some people are so hard and stubborn that they can know they're dying and they don't want to hear about jesus they know it and they're going to die stubborn uh, and just purely rejecting Christ. and so, we, But we always want to leave something behind because in the quietness of the night, you never know when they might turn and be like, you know, the pain's high or God's speaking to their heart. You want to leave something there with them. So I hope that helps. We're just trying to give you some confidence. At our church, you get got a lot of opportunities to win children to Christ. Let's make sure we're doing it wisely. And then winning a soul in the hospital, boy, it's fertile ground. Someone's in the hospital. They have figured out they're not immortal. And they're usually confronted with this idea, if, even, if, even if it's just surgery or whatever, the doctors scare them half to death 
<laughs> you know, before, before they have surgery, you know, you might die, you might stop breathing, you might do this. I thought you were just removing an ingrown toenail. I know, but with anesthesia, you never know, you know, and they can, they can really nail it down. So uh, let's give people the gospel uh, and trust God to use it. Father, I do pray that you'd help us as we discuss these things. Lord, help our church.